Welcome to the five things this week in social, the podcast that finds the top stories in social that just need a little deep dive. We edit it down to just five. And yes, we do edit down the stories meticulously so that you can sound smart during all those awkward few moments before a Zoom call really gets started. If you are a marketer, an advertiser, a creator, or an influencer, you are in the right place. Today on the pod, our friends Daniel Avon and Ari Santana are here. Hello, Daniel. Hey, Joey. How are you doing? I have a question for you. I don't know if I've ever asked you this before, but are you watching any reality TV these days? I used to be a pretty big reality TV head, but I have moved on from the housewives and so forth. However, I am on like Love Island season three UK and it is nice background TV. I love that. And Ari is here. Hello, Ari. Hi, Joey. How are you? I'm good. Same question for you. Anything that you're watching, reality TV-wise? So I've heard really fun things about the latest Love is Blind season, but my preferential guilty pleasure right now is watching Beef. While it may not actually be reality TV, it feels very dramatic like reality TV. Yeah, okay, I haven't seen that yet. Well, I'm Joey Scarillo and I've been working my way through Below Deck, which like Love Island, it feels like there are an infinite amount of episodes and always a squabble between Chief Stew and her stewardesses, if you will. I'm here for it. All right, now on to the five things. First up, Ari will let us in on how some Facebook users can submit claims against Facebook for their relationship with Cambridge Analytica. Then Daniel talks about how Twitter removed transgender protections from the platform. Ari lets us know about LinkedIn introducing a tool that allows job seekers to filter prospective employers based on their values. Daniel gets into Reddit, who will begin charging companies for API access. And finally, Ari tells us all about Instagram now supporting five links in bio. Yes, five. All right, let's get right to it. Ari, tell us about Facebook users that can submit a claim for a share of a settlement over Facebook's relationship with good old Cambridge Analytica. Yeah, so anyone who's used Facebook between 2007 and 2022 may be entitled to settlement money. Although it sounds like a great idea to collect a piece of that $725 million settlement by parent company Meta, this settlement stems from multiple lawsuits against Facebook by users who have claimed that the company shared their data with third-party sources. Like you said, one of these sources is Cambridge Analytica, the political consulting firm that harvested user data for Facebook as part of an effort to profile voters. So now Meta denies any wrongdoing under this statement, according to a company spokesperson who said, quote, we pursued a settlement as it's in the best interest of our community and shareholders, unquote. Maybe more on the shareholders' best interest than ours, but I'll take any money I can get for my data. So what this means for us, you, me, and any other U.S. resident who used Facebook between May 24th, 2007 and December 22nd, 2022, will have until August 25th to enter a claim. The amount is unknown, but I'm hoping something out of that $725 million will come into my own pockets. 
Yes, I love that idea that we might be able to cash in on some Zuck bucks. Daniel, do you think you will partake? Yeah, I'm down for it. I, I read as well um, that if you do accept settlement money and you don't let them know that you want to sue them later, you're forfeiting your right to sue them for your data usage during this time period. So only word to the wise, if you do want to sue Facebook for something related to this, don't accept the money and go for the gold. Yeah. I also noticed that it can go directly into your Venmo, which I'm here for. So let's just let's just make it so easy to get that money. All right. Now on to something a little bit more serious. I mean, Zuckbucks are very serious, but something a little bit more serious. Daniel, I want you to tell us about Twitter removing transgender protections from the platform. This is kind of a hard story to tell. And also the timing is really, really unfortunate. It's just a week after the Trans Day of Visibility and in the midst of a lot of anti-trans legislation, Twitter has removed protective language for trans individuals on the platform in its hateful conduct policy. In the past, this policy used to explicitly protect from and prohibit deadnaming, which is calling a trans person by a name from before their transition, and misgendering. This policy was instituted and has been around for the past five or so years, since 2018. While the policy has been redacted, there is still the ability to report misgendering and deadnaming in the Twitter report function. But the removal of this part of the written policy may make some users act with a feeling of impunity when they commit these acts of hate on the site. As I mentioned, the current cultural moment as it relates to the trans experience is pretty tense, not to mention all of the anti-trans legislation that is advancing and passing despite its deviation from the opinions of the medical community and decades of research. The recent outrage over Dylan Mulvaney's partnership with Bud Light has manifested in acts of violence and destruction of Bud Light cans and property and has been shared across social platforms of which Twitter is no stranger. It puts on display why it feels like this is kind of a particularly targeted act, not to mention scary change for the platform and its trans and ally users. The consequences also appear to be changing for such hate speech, whereas before these tweets would be deleted, perhaps if it were egregious enough, the account would be suspended. Now a warning label is just being placed over the content, um, so you can see it if you want to. And there is some loose language around maybe they will be deprioritized in the algorithm of what can show up and maybe harder to search for. We have some signals of of what this means. Profiles that were suspended before Musk took over have been reinstated. It seems just generally speaking, the platform is taking less seriously acts of aggression, hate speech, and so forth on the platform. This puts brands in a really interesting position for a few reasons. It could mean that the platform becomes less brand safe, and I would debate that it does, despite all of the moves that they have made for verification partners in recent months. And continuing to advertise on the platform may have a tacit connection, may indicate your support as a brand of the policy changes in Twitter at large. And it also gives advertisers the opportunity to pressure Twitter. Not that that has made a ton of change, but it could at this point in time. And I would hope that brands with the power would wield it for good to make the platform safer for its users. Otherwise, many users may decide to leave as many have already. There's a lot here to unpack. Obviously, this is very terrible of Twitter. Ari, what, when would you say enough is enough for users and for marketers? 
this feels like yet another notch in Twitter's belt and uh, controversial decision made by Elon Musk. I know we've discussed in the last episode that this is like Twitter's flop era. People don't trust the platform anymore. And now this is getting serious. People don't feel comfortable and brands may not feel like this is a place that they can you know, have a presence on. And it may actually be kind of that final straw amongst a lot of people. I feel like this really does need to be a big headline as people consider where they're going to spend their ad dollars on platforms and where their eyeballs are going to go when they're scrolling on their phones. I know personally, I feel like my Twitter usage has gone down a bit. Daniel, do you do you feel like your your Twitter usage has gone down at all? Like, does this does this affect you as a user? It doesn't. It doesn't. I feel my Twitter echo chamber is a lot of people speaking out against these types of moves. I wouldn't necessarily call it like a cathartic space just because there is so much, so much conversation against these types of acts and what's been going on in the country. But it complicates things a lot further than whenever Elon first took over. And I am constantly reassessing, is this really how I want to spend my time and allow my time to be monetized? Yeah, it really does make you think. And I think for our listeners out there, you know, as you're using your social media, just consider everything that we talk about on the show and and how that affects your choices and uh, and the platforms that you use and spend money with. All right, we're going to move on over to LinkedIn. Ari, why don't you tell us about LinkedIn introducing a tool that allows job seekers to filter prospective employers based on their values. Speaking of how you spend your time and where you may decide to work, I think this is a great segue. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of values, LinkedIn started a new commitments tool that is letting users screen companies based on those values. LinkedIn recently conducted a study that highlighted the growing importance of company values in attracting and retaining employees. They found that 87% of workers in the United States prioritize organizations that share their values. This trend is most notable in younger generations who are willing to leave jobs that don't align with what's important to them. So the commitments tool is letting organizations select and display their values, choosing from things like work-life balance, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, career growth and learning, social impact, and of course, environmental sustainability. And for the skeptics that may be listening, the commitments tool allows organizations to back their displayed values with proof, whether that be corroborating files like annual reports or articles about the company and their values and any policies that may pertain to what those values and speak to what those values are. However, it's ultimately up to the job seeker to evaluate exactly how closely their own values align with the companies. This is just another tool LinkedIn is rolling out to help put the power back into the hands of job seekers. It's hard enough as it is deciding the right career move. And I think this is a really great opportunity for LinkedIn to prove to be on the side of their job seekers. I think this is great. I think this is really cool. Um, Daniel, do you see any potential downside to this? Like, is there any way that this could work maybe against what LinkedIn had originally planned? I don't see any downside per se. I do think, though, because LinkedIn has limited options or limited values to choose from at the current moment, and they're all pretty 
universal. You would hope that all organizations value work-life balance, DE&I, sustainability, all those types of things. So I do think that it could get to a place of companies ticking the box on all of them and then it ultimately meaning nothing. And also to what Ari was saying about like companies can upload documentation to say they're doing XYZ, but it's still within the job seeker to determine whether or not they believe it. I think it's a really great move and I think it's indicative of the moment, but I just hope that companies are acting responsibly and displaying themselves truthfully. And I hope the onus is not too, too much on job seekers to to read through all of the fine print. Yeah, I agree. I think the responsibility here comes with the employers for sure, I think. Hopefully people out there are interested in gray and coming here and that we can put Gray's uh, values on LinkedIn. But um, yeah, I know. I think this is a great tool. I, I really do. Another job well done from our friends over at LinkedIn. All right. Speaking of a job well done, Daniel, let us know what you think about Reddit, who will begin charging companies for API access. And I'll be honest, I'm not 100% sure I understand this. So you might have to explain it to me like I'm fine. I will do my best. I'm up for the challenge. So this is a continuation, not only of the Reddit conversation, but also of the AI conversation that we've been having over the past few months. So before I get into this, I do want to start off by saying something that I've always believed about Reddit, which is that Reddit is where the internet is most honest. This fact, and I'll put that in quotes because it's an opinion, not a fact, coupled with its almost 20 years of forum posts and responses and 57 million daily visitors have been a good reason that AI companies like Google, OpenAI, and Microsoft have to date been using it as a training ground for the AI algorithms that they're developing via Reddit's open and free API essentially a digital pipeline for information from platform to them helps them pull information so that they can uh, inspire things like large language models or LLMs, which essentially power generative text AI and so forth. So Reddit is no longer going to be allowing or granting developer licenses with their new data API terms. And they will instead require these users and really companies um, and the use case of LLMs and so forth to enter into a separate monetary contingent agreement with Reddit, whose terms are not yet clear. What is clear though, this data is no longer free to companies and they will have to pay for it. This news comes ahead of an anticipated IPO for the company later this year and the likely need to monetize as many components of the platform as possible to appear attractive to investors from the onset, but also to be more profitable when answering to them over time. In its open spirit, the platform has long allowed API access for moderators and this will not largely change. However, they're going to be providing dedicated moderation tools as opposed to firehose access, as it's called in the industry. This news for me and just all the conversations we've had over the past few months about AI is interesting because of all of those AI stories we have discussed, from the sheer explosion of consumer-facing generative AI platforms to how these platforms come to be and the responsibility that they have to their source material and inspiration. This is one of the first instances of a company biting back, so to speak, and saying, you will not get this information for free. You have to pay for it. While it is sort of Redditors posts that are being used, I'm sure that the TNCs dictate that this is actually Reddit's intellectual property. And so they have the right to protect and monetize it, as do entities like 
Getty and other sources for AI platforms and algorithms. I'm curious if this is going to be a signal for other of those companies to gatekeep. And I'm not using this necessarily in a bad way, but it's their prerogative to hold tightly onto the information that supplies AI algorithms and will possibly make them either more expensive. So the access that we currently have that is largely free to AI could come at a fee, or it may limit the scope of those AI tools, or ideally be part of what makes it more honest and responsible down the line. I kind of want to dig in a little deeper on what you were talking about just then about other companies. Ari, do you think Reddit will be the exception or the rule? What other companies follow suit with this? I think Reddit is such an interesting platform in the sense that like, it's where the internet has no rules in a way. I don't think other platforms necessarily have the same type of information that is gathered like they do on Reddit. Obviously, though, I don't work for any of these platforms, so I wouldn't know. But from what I've seen, Reddit is one of those like special cases that like you could pull essentially anything you need to know about people or the internet or any topic from it. Like it's genuinely not that hard. People are sharing ideas on there all the time. I'm really happy for Reddit, too. I think this this is really smart, smart move for them to sort of counter against the go against the grain, if you will, on the wave that the AI boom has been taking and really putting a flag in the ground. I think it's I think it's really smart on this show. We will applaud Reddit. And uh, I think this is another opportunity to do that. Speaking of applause, this is, I think, my favorite story of the week. All right. Let us know about Instagram now supporting five links in bio five. What are we going to do with all those links? You are entirely too excited about this, <laughs> but I guess we could say goodbye to Linktree, which is really sad, but Meta announced that users can now add up to five links on their Instagram bios, rendering these link in bio startups essentially obsolete overnight. Startups like Linktree came to existence due to the platform limitations on social networks like Instagram, who limited users to just one link to direct followers to content outside of the app. This update may be an attempt to kind of box out potential threats. In March of 2022, Linktree raised $110 million from investors in a deal that valued the company at $1.7 billion. Now that creators can add links directly to their Instagram page, there might not be much of a need to manage another account does essentially the same thing. But Linktree has been around since before I was in college. So why would it take Instagram so long to roll out this highly requested feature? TikTok. Obviously, the clock app's strict limitation may have inspired Instagram to loosen the reins because as of the time of this recording, TikTok currently only allows clickable links on bios for those who have at least a thousand followers and a business account, making that feature really limited to a small subsect of creators and businesses. I wouldn't delete your link tree just yet. Daniel, have you seen this multiple links in action yet on an Instagram page? I have not had the good fortune, but I am kind of interested in it because, you know, some link trees do only have like one or two links. Some link trees like comedians that I follow as an example have like individual dates and they get a lot of value out of having like 12 or so links off of their link trees. So to your point, I don't think it's a reason to delete link tree just yet, but 
it may box Linktree out of a decent amount of income as people who are just linking to other profiles or their own website will just take advantage of this. Yeah, so I was playing around with this on Instagram and it offers you the opportunity to put in the link and then have like a title line where I would imagine that's where you could put like what the link is. And on my profile, as of the time of this recording, it shows me the full link. So like all of the characters in the link, and then it says, and one other, and I don't think I can get to that other one. Oh, that that's just not very clean. It's not clean yet. I think Instagram needs to clean this up, but it is exciting. All right, friends, that does it for us today. If you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us, review us, like us, or write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, or just send us a thing you want us to discuss. And you can do all of that by emailing us at podcasts at gray.com. Of course, I want to thank our panel today, Ari and Daniel. And as always, thanks to Samantha Geller and Amanda Fuentes and the crew over at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. On the next episode of Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, we welcomed Neil Tana, the founder of How About, a social app for connecting and making plans with your friends. Neil talks about the struggles he faced in becoming an entrepreneur shortly after leaving university. Neil notes that while most social apps were founded in the US, he is excited to have created this app in the UK. Check out the Gray Matter episode to hear Neil's story. You can find Gray Matter wherever you find this podcast. That's it for us. Thank you, listeners. And as always, please be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York, produced by Joey Scarillo and Samantha Geller. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Amanda Fuentes and Guy Rosemarin, with post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by Christina Hyde and Adrian Hopkins. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.